This is a Saddleback Church podcast. My message today has really been burning in my heart this week and this whole weekend. I, I, I've felt so much of a burden around the subject we're going to talk about today. It, it really has been a journey for me around this subject of anxiety for a long time, but this last week or two weeks ago, I was at home and I did something I don't normally do. Stacy was gone, kids were gone, and I watched the nightly news. I don't know if any of you guys still watch the news. And so on that day in particular, there was a Senate hearing and they brought in social media CEOs and uh, there were some parents who had lost their children and in many ways connected to social media. Uh, a child that had died by suicide, an, another one that had been bullied, another one that had dried, died from drugs that they had gotten. And I'm watching this whole scene, these clips of parents in front of Senate with these CEOs. It was, it was a very morbid scene. And my heart was going out to these parents as I'm watching them with pictures of kids. And part of the reason why is I have a 17 and a 15-year-old and we're having these conversations about social media. And immediately as I'm watching this and my heart is being filled with compassion, I immediately go to my kids and I start thinking about the world that my children are growing up in, which is very different than the world I grew up in in the 1990s. And I remember even a lot of the challenges that I faced, maybe on a smaller scale or some similar challenges, but for students now and for those of you who are students who are listening to my voice, there's so much that's coming at you. And really, we live in a world where you can watch your friends have parties, and they're all seemingly enjoying themselves, and you feel internally your own angst and frustration, and there's a value system where the world is so often now discipling our children because so much of their lives are spent on a screen. And this is not just for kids that this is happening, it's also adults, that there's this emergence or there's a growth of anxiety in our world. And you can look back over the last 60 years and you can see some trends. You can go back to the 1960s and see the sexual revolution, how that began to change the amount of anxiety and depression in our culture. There were other inflection points from 2008 when people started having phones in front of them all the time and social media is in front of us. And then again in 2020, there's another, there's another inflection point where it seems that anxiety and depression continues to rise, continues to grow in our culture. And in reality, this anxiety maybe has been there for a long time, but it's more prevalent, it's more widespread to where now anxiety is the most, it's the biggest mental health crisis of our day. And maybe that's you. Maybe today you feel a tremendous amount of anxiety, and that anxiety could be circumstantial, connected to circumstance, but it could be something in your life that has just been weighing on you for years and you've still carried that anxiety. And today as we're looking at this subject, it is a crisis in our culture that nobody has been able to solve. Like people are looking for solutions, medicine, therapy, and all of that can help, but, but there's still this crisis that we're trying to figure out and there, there, there's like this seemingly unanswered question of how do we get peace in our culture? How do we get peace in our homes? How do we get peace in our hearts? And that's why we are reading the Bible together. Because I'm convinced the solution that we're looking for is found in the ways of God. That as a culture drifts further and further away from God's design and his principles and his precepts, 
that for those of us who are looking for truth and looking for answers, that this is the starting point. This is the most important place that we can go to get answers for our life, especially around the subject of peace. Now, this week, we're gonna be in our reading. We're actually in the fourth week of eight weeks, and I wonder how it's going for you as you're reading through the Bible. I, I hope that it's going well. Maybe you aren't quite on track. You've missed a few days, and it's okay. You, you can keep going, keep at it. Maybe your spouse, spouse missed a few days. Don't make them feel bad, okay? And we're just gonna keep encouraging each other. This week, in our reading, these are the books of the Bible we'll read. We'll read the second half of Romans, Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, First and Second Timothy, and Titus. So that's a lot of books of the Bible. They're all short books that we're gonna read this week. And if you haven't taken this challenge uh, to read through it with us, you can still pick one of these books up on the patio here at Lake Forest. Um, also, you can join us in our app, and what I've loved this week, actually, is you can, you can read physically in the Bible, but also on our app as a church, there's the audio version. So I like to kind of go back and forth so that you can have, maybe in a car you're driving, you can listen to the Bible. But most importantly, what we're gonna see this week as we read, there's a word that comes up 16 times in the reading this week, and it's the word peace. And Paul, the apostle who writes all of these letters to the churches, he talks about the kind of peace that only God can give to our lives. And today what I wanna do is I wanna look at a passage of scripture where Paul emphasizes the pathway to God's peace in Philippians chapter four, verse six. So you should have some notes, you can pull them out. And I wanna read these few verses that Paul gives to us. And it's good to know that Paul writes the book of Philippians to the church at Philippi, and he writes it from a prison cell. So if you're asking for advice, like so for example, if we want marriage advice, the question that always should go through our mind when we're asking somebody marriage advice is, how's your marriage? If you're asking for parenting advice, how did it work out for you with your kids? You know, it's always funny when parents with four and two year olds are like giving parental advice to everybody. It's like, let's let it play out a little bit, okay? <laughs> and I remember that when we first had kids, it's like so you know, passionate about parenting principles and the kids are four, it's like, okay, give me your advice in 20 years and that'd be great. But when it comes to peace, you kinda wanna know, how's it working for you, Paul? Like, how are you doing with your peace? And it's good for us to know that from a Roman prison cell, not knowing when his life is going to physically be over, not knowing if he might be killed or murdered for his faith in Jesus. A guy who's been beaten across the back multiple times, a guy who's been shipwrecked, a guy who's been persecuted and had people stoned him for his faith in Jesus, this man is at peace. And he writes this letter to the church in Philippi and gives them these thoughts. First of all, he says, don't be anxious about anything. Now again, I'm like, well, you, do you know my situation? Paul, you don't know 21st century. You don't know all of my challenges, but thank God, he had a whole lot of challenges he faced. And so with credibility, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in every circumstance, whether it's cancer or divorce or loneliness, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, which means that there are gonna be moments in our lives where 
where the circumstances are beyond what we can control. And he says there's a kind of peace that transcends that, that can guard both your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I love these verses of the Bible. This little passage of scripture is one of about four or five that has most impacted my life. And a part of the reason why this passage of scripture has had such a huge impact on me is because anxiety has been a lifelong challenge for me. When I came to faith in Jesus, I remember a preacher said one time, when you decide to follow Jesus, you get Jesus in your heart, but you still got grandma in your bones. And my grandma was a, she worried a whole lot. I remember times I would go over her house and she had a pool in the backyard. I would eat crackers and she'd be like, you ate four crackers, gotta wait 30 minutes to go in the pool. Otherwise, you'll get a cramp and drown in the pool and I don't wanna jump in after you. And that worry, that, that concern, it, it crept in. It was, it was multiple generations, both sides. Mom, my pa- grandparents on both sides, my grandmas, both struggled with worry. And then I got it passed on, and it's, it's, it's been in my bones. I've had to have this lifelong journey of how do I come out of the anxiety and not be an anxious person? And when you find somebody who's not an anxious person, who's at peace, they change environments. You know, it's interesting how somebody is anxious and worried can immediately work up a situation, immediately change the way an office or work environment feels, immediately change the way a minivan ride feels. That, that anxiety inserted into an environment can immediately change it, but a person of peace brings stability. And that's what we're talking about today. Paul is emphasizing how to be at peace. Now, there's two important truths I want us to see, first off, from this passage. The first one is that Paul is helping us understand peace is a gift from God. So notice, he bookends this little thought, and he starts with, the peace of God, which guards your heart and your mind, transcends understanding, and the God, he finishes that thought with the God of peace will be with you. And he's helping us understand there's a kind of peace that God gives to our life that is different than what the world offers. The world will promise you peace if you can get your circumstances fixed. But God gives a peace that goes into prison cells. God gives a peace that is in the worst conditions of our life, and it's a gift. In Romans chapter 5, these words from Paul, Paul says this. He says, therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. So when Jesus was dying on a cross, he was reconciling through his death on a cross. He was taking the sins of the world and making a payment so that humanity can be reconciled or brought back to the heart of God. So the enemy, all the way back to the book of Genesis, when he tempts Adam and Eve, his whole strategy is to cause division. And God's whole strategy is to bring reunification, to bring reconciliation. So peace is a form of restoration. It's bringing back together what God intended to be one. 
So God wants that gift of peace to be given into our lives, and the cross was him stretching his arms out, saying, this is how much I care about you experiencing my peace. I'm willing to die in your place. Peace is a gift that God gives. I'm gonna talk more about that in a few moments, but the second part is that peace requires participation. And this is where I'm gonna spend the bulk of my time today. Peace requires involvement. Now, if you go to a therapist or maybe at some point you, you've been on some form of medicine and you've been involved in a process to get out of anxiety or depression or any mental health challenge that you have faced, if you go through that process, any good therapist is gonna say to you, you have to be involved in the process. You cannot outsource your mental health to somebody else. And the Bible is very clear. There's an involvement that God invites us into. This verse in Isaiah 26, 3 says, you, speaking of God, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. So there's an involvement. God gives a promise of peace, but he also says that you are to be involved. We're to be involved with our thoughts. So if I fix my thoughts on God, God has a way of fixing my thoughts and reorienting my life towards his peace. Now a part of what culture does and a part of what the enemy does is he tries to remove from us the authority around our peace. And what he wants us to think is that you can't fix the problem of anxiety in your life. And maybe somebody else could fix it, but you can't. And what he's trying to do in that process is trying to remove dominion from you that exists for you to work with God to live into his peace. A couple weeks ago, Stacy was out of town and I was taking care of the three kids and we're coming to church on Saturday night and we have a, a wardrobe malfunction on the way out the door. So my daughter comes out and I'm like, you're not wearing that to church. Like, you need a good change. So ensues is this battle. What ensues is this battle between me and my daughter going back and forth for about five minutes and it's unraveling. And so finally I'm like, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna phone a friend. So I pick up the phone, I call Stacy, and she, she says to me, after I explain the situation to her, she says to me, you know, Andy, you have the authority to make that decision. She said, you know you have the authority to make that decision, don't you? And I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. I have the authority to make that decision. So I hung up the phone, I looked at Karis, I said, go change right now. Immediately she went and changed. And I believe what God wants to say to you today is you know you have the authority with his help to overcome. You have the authority in this area of your life through God's power and his peace, through his presence to overcome. And today I wanna to talk about what is that area of your dominion that God has given to you? What is the responsibility that God invites us into our participation in experiencing his peace? The first thing that Paul gives to us is about prayer. And what he's saying to us is that we are to grow in our prayers. That when I grow in my prayer life and when I grow in my prayers, it seemingly helps me overcome anxiety. And a part of what is happening in our prayers is that we're taking circumstantially what is weighing us down, and if it's on your mind, it's also in God's heart. So God 
wants to know the things that are weighing us down. First Peter 5 says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. So Paul is saying, your anxiety you can turn to prayer. It's a symptom that when it happens, it can be a leverage point to point you to the heart of God. And there are a few components of prayer that Paul highlights in these few verses. There are four things he says. The first one is that prayer, first of all, should be relational. So he says, let it come by prayer and petition. And that word prayer, the first word, is the word that we actually get, it's connected to the word that is translated as worship. And it means to come towards So there's a part of prayer that is you and I coming towards the presence of God with our concern. And Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he said, this is how to pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So the invitation is that God created us for friendship and relationship with him, to be his sons and daughters. He's made a way through the cross that by faith in Jesus, we can be declared the children of God. And now we have access to him and relationship with him is what he's after. So everything like a kid that is concerned and a kid comes to their parents, God is wanting that for you today. And you might be exploring faith. Today could be the day that you turn to Jesus and you start praying for the very first time and you ask him for his help. The invitation is to be relationally connected to God. The second thing that Paul says is is saying is to be bold. And that word that Paul uses in description, he says, by prayer and petition. The word petition is a legally binding word. It's like if you sign a document and you're held to an oath. It's like when you get a car lease and they come for you and say you need to pay your lease. And somehow what Paul is saying is that in relationship with God, when you come before him, you are praying to a God who always fulfills his word. You're praying to a God who never changes in his character. You're praying to a God that has given us a book called the Bible that describes who he is and how he interacts with humanity. And he tells us, even as Jesus describes prayer, Jesus gives us images and he says, this is how you should pray. It's like a friend that that goes in the middle of the night and knocks on door and asks a friend for a loaf of bread and the friend gets up not because he's a friend but he gets up because the guy won't stop knocking. That's what prayer is. It's persistence and boldness. In Hebrews chapter four, verse 14, these verses are describing the invitation from God to pray boldly. And I hope you can hear these words today. This is God's word that is true and never changes, and listen to these words. So then, since we have a great high priest who's entered the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, he is the, he's the one that represents us before the Father. He's the great high priest who's come into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same things that we do, yet he did not sin. And because of this, because now he is interceding or praying on your behalf, it says then because of this, let us come boldly before the throne of our gracious God and there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Oh, I don't know if we have grasped the significance 
of what these few verses are saying to us about how we can come before God with our concerns and our anxiety to find his help in our time of need. He is a holy and righteous God, yet he has made a way through the cross and the death of Jesus and the payment of sin that Jesus is now in the inner sanctum of the Father's presence praying, interceding on your behalf. You know, it's like when you, when you ask somebody to pray for you, sometimes Christians have this really weird way of saying, I'll pray for you, and not praying. It's like the, you know, the Christian thing to say, I'll pray for you. No, you won't. That's why, that's why I like to say, when somebody says, will you pray for me, I'll say, let's pray now, right now, in this moment, because I'll forget. But thank God, Jesus does not forget to pray for us. That all of our concern, that he is, he is on your prayer team, and he wants to, he wants to intercede to the Father on your behalf. So there's this invitation for boldness that God gives to us to bring our concern. Pray for him to change your marriage. Pray for your children. Keep praying decades later. Pray for God to work miraculously in your finances. Pray for God to move forward that vision that he's put inside of your heart. Pray for God to help you overcome that sin tendency that you keep going back to. Pray boldly before God, Paul says. Do this with boldness, petition. And then he says, as you do it, do it with thanksgiving. Now what he's saying is to come with gratitude. And this gratitude is very fascinating to consider because sometimes you're praying for something that has not yet happened. And this gratitude is a looking back on what God has done in our lives in the past, but there's an eager anticipation of his faithfulness into the future. So there's this thanking God. God, I don't see it in my life yet, but I'm believing by faith and I'm thanking you before it becomes a reality. My heart is grateful because I know you're faithful. My heart is grateful because I've seen you move in the past and I know you'll do it again. So I'm praying with faith to a God that hears me. Be thankful, grateful when we pray. And then finally, be specific. Now Paul is saying bring request before God with specificity. And I think part of the reason why we get vague answers to prayer is because we pray vague prayers. So we don't ask God specifically for his help with our needs. This last week I was in San Diego and I was with a group of pastors. We get together every year now for six years and we rent together this, this beach house in San Diego and I had a conversation one night. So we're, we're like, we encourage each other, we pray together. It's, it's really a gift to be with these friends of mine. And they're all great men of God. And I look forward to this time every year. So after one of our conversations one evening, my heart is just heavy. I'm, I'm weighed down by a couple things, decisions. And I'm like staying up late that night and journaling and writing down thoughts and really lacking peace as I go to bed. And I prayed and I was like, God, I... I really need from you a sign to know that I'm on the right path. I need to know that you're with me and I need to know that you're for me. I, I didn't have anything in particular in mind. I just threw it out. God, I, I'm asking you, show me that you're with me. So that next morning, I'm sitting there, I'm sitting on the bed reading my Bible and I'm at the edge of the house. So I'm looking at the Pacific Ocean and I look up and there's a rainbow. And I'm like, nah, that's not from God. It's raining, it's sunny, there's no way. So I'm like, okay, let me just try this a little bit more. God, so I'm looking at the rainbow and the rainbow stops like part of the way to the water. And I'm like, God, if this is really from you, can you make that rainbow touch the water? 
And so I sit there for a few more moments, and I look up, and this is the picture when I look up. So I look up again, and the rainbow goes all the way to the water. Now, I sit there another few moments, and this is the next picture. God makes the ray go all the way to the balcony of the room where I'm sitting. And is if that's not enough, he makes the rainbow, you'll see this final picture, he makes it go completely over the outside of my balcony. And God was like, I'm with you. Do you believe me now? I'm for you. And now, I'm just gonna say, friends, you can give God some praise for that. I'm gonna say, though, that that doesn't happen very often, so I'm not, like, boasting about that story. I've had, like, five of those in my life. But I, in that moment, I was just like, even the words of that song we sang today, great is your faithfulness to me. You've been so good to me. And I believe the invitation, some of you, you're weighed down. And there's a concern that you, you've lost hope that God can do it. And I believe God is saying, I know some of you, it's been decades of the same prayer. And God is saying, do not give up. Keep coming to me in your fear. Keep coming to me in your worry. Keep coming to me in your concern and trust me, I am faithful. And even when circumstances are not changing, I'm changing you, I'm working on you, and I wanna grant you my peace. So he's inviting us to pray. The second thing he's inviting us to do is to work on our thinking. So Paul says, you need to work on your thoughts. And he gives us a description of how to work on our thoughts. And these words, I just want to go through. There's eight actual words that Paul uses. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Now, when he describes this list, and I think about my thinking, This is not a description of my brain. Like, I'm sure there are some of you, my wife is way more godly than I am. She thinks this way a lot more than I do. But for me, I look at that list and I think about how often I wake up and I'm frustrated first thing in the morning and I have nothing to be frustrated about. I think about the moments in my life where my natural tendency is to move away from the ways of God. And how many thoughts come through my mind that are not true, that are not noble, that are not right, that are not excellent, that are not praiseworthy. And I had to learn, and I continue to battle this, I had to learn that so much of the battlefield for peace is won in our minds. It's a thought journey. And a part of getting out of the loop of anxiety, so the enemy will feed you a lie, And if you're not careful, that lie becomes a loop that you meditate on it. And what happens is we start thinking in extreme realities. I was walking down the road with one of my kids yesterday, same one that I had the outfit challenge with, and and she used a phrase, she said, this always happens. And I do the same thing, I say, this always happens. And then I just asked a couple questions and then the response, well, most of the time it happens, not always. And I think that that's true, that sometimes we get stuck in our our minds and we need a question or something to get us out of to be able to assess where is that thought coming from. Part of the best way to know that ultimately the, the, the thought that where it's coming from is to check where is that thought taking me? And I have to learn to to pay attention. I developed this little paradigm a few years ago and it's been really helpful for me. When I think of my thoughts, they fall in four categories. 
And the four categories, the first category is the category of false negative. It's in the bottom left-hand corner of your notes. And what a false negative thought is, is a thought that tries to lie to you about who God is and who you are. And it could be on a myriad of things. It could be about your past that's already forgiven. It can be about somebody that already loves you. It can be about God's intent and his character. But that false negative thought, if we're not mindful of it, can lead us to destruction. The second one is false positive. Like that would be me thinking one day I'll play in the NFL. That's not true. I'm too old, I don't have the prototype for it. That's not gonna happen. That's a false positive. And sometimes a false positive, as you see here, you got the false negative and the false positive. This is the simpleton that, that Solomon talks about in the Proverbs that believes anything. And a false positive can lead you off of a cliff, riding down the road thinking everything's great, you're heading towards destruction. So we wanna be mindful of false positive. The lower right corner is true negative. And sometimes we do need things to be spoken to our lives. This is the warnings that God gives in the Bible. But what the enemy often will do is he will take a true negative and he will twist it. And he will take a thought through all three of those boxes. He will move you around and get you in an anxiety loop that has you worked in circles. And finally, what Paul is saying, there is a true positive that I wanna take my thoughts and move them towards. I wanna move my thoughts towards excellence. I wanna move my thoughts towards things that are worthy of God's praise. I wanna take my thoughts and get them to nobility. I wanna take my thoughts and meditate on what is true. So I'm moving my thoughts in the direction of God's plan and will for my life. And this, again, is why reading the Bible is so important and so helpful because it's an opportunity for me on a daily basis to have my mind crossed with the truth of God and washed so that I can see and think more clearly. The problem that we face right now in our culture is that in our culture, our culture has taken what is good and made it evil and taken what is evil and made it good. So the value system of God's kingdom the value system and design of God's precepts. In many ways, there is more antagonism towards God's ways in American culture here in the United States than there has ever been in modern history. And the war that a lot of people find themselves in is, well, if you believe what the Bible teaches, then you're ostracized from culture. But this is so important for us to understand that anchoring ourselves in the truth of God's word, understanding his values and his precepts and coming back is the kind of fortitude and strength that is needed right now in this moment. This verse in Isaiah 520 is so important. I wanna highlight this. It says, what sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. So right now, there's, there's, there's a movement around God's values with marriage and God's values with identity and God's values with sexuality and all of these things that God has declared pure to make them evil or wrong and all the things that the enemy is after in terms of identity and sexuality to twist it in our minds so that we don't think clearly and see God's truth. And what God is doing is God is in this moment, he's trying to illuminate for us his truth His truth about your identity, the most important thing about who you are is who God says you are. And God has created 
sons and daughters to know his heart, to be in relationship with him. So whatever the culture says about you that doesn't line up with God's word, it's a lie straight from the pit of hell. God's design for marriage between a man and a woman in a covenantal relationship is designed by God so that the family, sons and daughters, can flourish. And what the enemy has done is he is perverting God's design for marriage. And that perversion creates all these loops because for me as a follower of Jesus, I also read verses that say, let love be your highest goal. So I'm in a world that sees things differently than me, but I'm still called to be a person of love. So I'm called to be a person of love, and I'm called to be a person of truth, and this is why. So many people are very confused right now, and what the world needs is people who are followers of Jesus not to be angry, kind of waving a nationalistic flag. What the world needs is people who are loving, but also grounded in truth, to understand that God never compromises truth and God is always filled with love. So when a follower of Jesus is a non-anxious presence that understands God's heart and truth, but filled with kindness and love, that kind of person has great impact on those around them. I hope I'm making sense to somebody today. I wanna work on my thinking, but I also, also, Paul has one more thing to say to us, finally, is to build a better pattern. And I love how Paul says, whatever you've learned or received or heard or seen in me, put it into practice. Now he's saying, I'm a good example. Paul is saying, I am a good example of living with peace. And sometimes what we need is somebody that, that has a pattern of peace in their life that we can model our lives after. I have a mentor who has a very similar personality to mine. And what that means, if we don't know each other very well, um, I, I have a lot of energy, sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down, I can get anxious, uh, and my mentor, similar personality, but in his 70s now, and he's chill, he's relaxed. And I'm like, I know that was a lot of work from God and a lot of cooperation on your part. So one time I'm asking my mentor, I'm like, hey, you don't seem to get worked up very easily, what, what is this, like, wh where does this come from? And he said, well, you know, one time, I was at the airport and I was waiting on my luggage. And as I was standing there, my luggage wasn't coming. And I had the thought in all my travels, about nine out of 10 times my luggage comes. One out of 10, it doesn't come. And I just wondered, I wonder if this is the nine or the one. And he said, and now anytime I walk up to wait for my luggage, I walk up and I think, is this gonna be the nine or is this gonna be the one? And he says, and I'm just relaxed. Because if it's the one, I walk over, I fill out paperwork, they send me my luggage. If it's the nine, I celebrate because I got my luggage. And I thought, you know, 10 out of 10 times, when I get in the car with my three kids, there's gonna be a fight. And I get in, and I wonder, is this one? Is this one of the 10? And, you know, his approach really shifted my thinking. We live in a fallen world. And we need people that are at peace, regardless of circumstance, to be a model for us. Paul can be a great mentor, but finding a person who's one to two steps ahead of us that can mentor us in peace is a great step to change the pattern. We're not just after a moment of shift, we're after a pattern shift in our life. That the pattern of our life, we become increasingly peaceful. And you know, the Bible describes the peace of God as the fruit of the Spirit. 
And I'm gonna finish on these two important aspects because I do believe there's a cooperation with God, but there's also a miracle. You know, the fruit that God produces in our life called the fruit of the Spirit, it's miraculous when people who were formerly not filled with peace now live lives of peace. It's a miracle when somebody who had no joy now has joy because of relationship with God. And the fruit of the Spirit of God is a miracle when he produces it in our lives. God is after that kind of fruit. And there are two pathways to God's peace that are so very important. This is how the miracle of God's peace comes into our life by faith as we cooperate with him. And the first one is the peace of God comes through the cross of Jesus. God, in his grace, in his mercy, took the power and the penalty of sin and he nailed it to a cross. And when Jesus was placed there onto a Roman cross, the last phrase out of his mouth was, it is finished. And he was restoring all things through his death so that all who would come to him by faith in him could be forgiven and have relationship with God. Romans 5.1, I wanna read this again. It says, therefore, since, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Jesus' death on a cross demonstrates the love of God for us, and in that love, there's a way that we can come to the heart of God and be forgiven. So that the theme of our life, the story of our life, is not based on our ability to get it right, but the peace of God forgives, God gives grace and mercy, and we can be restored, reconciled, to relationship with God through the cross. There are some of you today, you don't have a relationship with God. You, you, you know deep in your heart, you're exploring faith, you're trying to figure out what you believe. Today can be that day of salvation that you turn to the heart of God and receive forgiveness. Come to him and get his peace in your life. And I'm gonna give you an opportunity for that in just a moment. But I want to say one other aspect. The peace of God comes as a gift. The pathway is through the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of the living God comes inside of those who follow Jesus and works with us internally to bring the peace of God on the inside that's beyond circumstance. And I'm so grateful that God, the third person of the Trinity, when Jesus said, I will go back to heaven, it's better for you if I go because I will, I'll send my spirit, he'll come. And in Acts chapter two, God poured out his spirit on his, his sons and daughters and the spirit of the living God is present in this moment and wants to fill you with the peace of God. Jesus is described as the Prince of Peace and wherever God's kingdom is, wherever his rule and his reign is, there is God's peace. Wherever the enemy's kingdom is, there's dissension, there's division, there's hatred, there's jealousy, there's bitterness, but wherever the kingdom of God is, there's peace. And the Holy Spirit is able in the midst of divorce, cancer, loss, uncertainty about the future, chaos in the world, the Holy Spirit is able to take the life of someone who is in a prison cell in Rome, not knowing if they're gonna be beheaded for their faith in Jesus. And this man is not sitting there worrying about his faith. That man is in a prison cell writing letters to the church in Philippi saying, hey, if my head's gonna get cut off, before I lose my life for my faith in Jesus, I'm gonna try to encourage and bring peace to anybody I can.
That's a miracle. That's a miracle from God that in the worst of circumstances you can have peace. And there's an invitation today, oh, for the spirit of the living God to give you his peace deep within your soul. I wanna invite you right now as you hear these words to turn to the heart of God to receive his peace in your life. I'd like to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me for just a moment. And what I love about the way that the Holy Spirit works is that right now he, he's doing work in every single person's heart. And maybe there's something on your mind, something you're thinking about. And I wanna encourage you to take that to God right now and to let him work in your heart. Some of you right now, the Spirit is stirring inside of you to open up your heart to receive the gift of forgiveness and salvation. And right now can be the day of forgiveness, the day of salvation. And in this moment, you can say to God, God, I need you. I need you. I've been doing life on my own. And in the bottom of your heart, just to recognize, Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross for my sin. I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I'm yielding my heart to you right now in this moment. Come, fill me. Take my life. Give it to you. And if you prayed that prayer, that's the cry of your heart today. I'm gonna invite you in just a few moments when we take our steps to respond. Others of you, perhaps there's a concern that's heavy on your heart. Maybe there's an area of your life where you've been doing it in your own power. It's just to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to fill you, to give you peace. You can say to him right now in this moment, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come and give me your peace. Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful today, so thankful that you give us a peace that's beyond understanding. And in your kingdom, where you rule and reign, we want more of your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We want more of your peace in our lives. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us with peace today that we would become people that are anchored in truth, anchored in your love, so that the world around us, our places of work and our families and those that we interact with would see something different in us and it would be described as your peace. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this weekend message from Saddleback Church. If you like this, please consider leaving a rating or review for this podcast. The Saddleback Church Weekend Message Podcast is a part of the Saddleback family of podcasts. Visit saddleback.com slash podcasts or search for Saddleback Church in your favorite podcasting app to see more great podcasts from Saddleback. For more Weekend Message resources, visit saddleback.com slash message resources.